This podcast will continue our discussion on nerves and the nervous system. We're going to be looking primarily at synapses in this podcast. I think as you're aware, neurons communicate with other neurons or with their effector cells by synapses. And we can define synapses as axodendritic synapses, that is where an axon would synapse to a dendrite. We can talk about axosomatic synapses, where an axon can synapse onto the cell body of another neuron. That's what's shown in the scanning electron micrograph at the right. So this would be the cell body. And look at the multiple axons that are synapsing onto the cell body. And we can also talk about an axoaxonic synapse, that is where an axon synapses onto another axon. And the cartoon diagrams in the bottom just give examples of that. So this one could be an axodendritic or an axosomatic synapse. This one would show an axodendritic synapse where an axon is synapsing onto a dendritic spine. And here would be an axoaxonic synapse, an axon synapsing onto another axon. We can talk about electric synapses. These are common within invertebrates. And the mammalian equivalent of an electrical synapse is the gap junction. And you should recall from basic cell biology that the gap junction is a highly specialized structure. We're not going to go over those details here because we've covered them elsewhere in the course. But you can see in this example the axon terminal coming in and the gap junction formation here, the gap junctions between the presynaptic and postsynaptic cell. Now that is of course different from the chemical synapse which is the most common type of synapse found in higher animals. There is a presynaptic element shown here, the synaptic cleft shown here which we're going to look at in much greater detail in a few minutes, and then the postsynaptic element or postsynaptic membrane. Now note that in this cartoon it's showing fibers of the basal lamina, so this would be if you were representing a neuromuscular junction. Basal lamina are common within the neuromuscular junction, but there are no basal lamina within neuronal to neuronal synapses, either in the central nervous system or neuronal to neuronal synapses within the peripheral nervous system. The diagram here just highlights again the axosomatic or axodendritic types of synapses or synapses onto a dendritic spine. I think you can appreciate if you would to blow this up. You've got a presynaptic cell, a synaptic cleft, postsynaptic cell. You will certainly learn later in physiology and in much more detail in neurobiology next year. Neurotransmitter is released into the synaptic cleft by exocytosis. This exocytosis is often under the control of voltage regulated calcium channels. The neurotransmitter has to cross the synaptic cleft and it's going to bind to transmitter gated channels here shown as sodium gated channels or to G protein coupled receptors on the postsynaptic membrane and these are going to cause voltage gated sodium channels to open. That's going to generate a nerve impulse. Now what's very important to understand on this cartoon, you can see these synaptic vesicles that would be traveling down from the cell body down the axon. You get a sense of the fusion with the plasma membrane on the presynaptic cell. You can see the transmitter being
being released. And then you've got to understand there has to be significant membrane recycling to remove this membrane as the vesicles fuse. The vesicles have to be retransported perhaps back towards the cell body or they have to be recharged with transmitter right near the presynaptic terminus. This is just the ultrastructure of a synapse. I'll try to trace the presynaptic structure like this. So let me trace that very carefully, the presynaptic structure like this. Notice I can see some mitochondria in the presynaptic structure, but look at all the vesicles that I can see in this presynaptic structure. This would actually be called a synaptic bouton. In the postsynaptic structure, this is a dendritic spine, so I can kind of get a sense of that dendritic spine like this. And you can see this postsynaptic density. This is often very commonly demonstrated at the ultrastructural level, the postsynaptic density. And you can see the synaptic cleft between the presynaptic and postsynaptic membranes. It's interesting because neurotransmitter release, the most accepted model for this and the one that we've understood for the longest of times is by vesicle fusion. That is the most accepted model for how neurotransmitter is released. And that would be shown in figure A here. So you can imagine without going through the cell biology details, because we've talked about this earlier in the course and you're familiar with this now, but you can imagine a membrane vesicle traveling down microtubule pathways, fusing with the plasma membrane, and the contents being released by exocytosis. That's the typical model. But there is a new model that's been put forth that's called porocytosis, in which transient membrane pores may actually form. So rather than the vesicle actually fusing and releasing the contents in this classic omega figure, as you might expect, some people are beginning to think that at least in some some cases you get transient membrane pores that are going to form between the presynaptic membrane and the vesicle that's traveling down towards the end of the synaptic terminus. And there are, of course, snare complexes and synaptogammon complexes that would play a role in attaching these vesicles to the membrane and perhaps helping to open some of these membrane pores. Now synapses, as you know, can be excitatory or inhibitory synapses. An excitatory synapse might involve transmitters like acetylcholine or serotonin. An inhibitory synapse might include something like alpha-aminobutyric acid or glycine. There are some common neurotransmitters. I'm not going to test you on these for our course, but I think it's worth that you review them to help you integrate and correlate with material you're going to study in physiology. So for example, acetylcholine is a very common neurotransmitter. It's between axons and axons, axons and striated muscle, very common in the autonomic nervous system. We can talk about cholinergic neurons with the so-called cholinergic receptors. And you'll hear about muscarinic receptors and nicotinic receptors as special types of cholinergic receptors. We talk about catecholamines as neurotransmitters, so substances like epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine, these can all be neurotransmitters. So we'll talk about catecholaminergic neurons. These play a role in regulating movement, in mood, in our ability to maintain attention. Andrenergic neurons are involved in the fight or flight mechanisms. We can talk about serotonergic neurons. These are common in the central 
nervous system. They're very important in regulating mood and just for example psychological well-being. We can also talk about serotonergic neurons in the enteric nervous system. And again, we're not going to ask you to worry about these for the course now, but this will just help you to integrate with things you're going to learn elsewhere. Many amino acids like GABA, glutamate, aspartate, glycine can function as neurotransmitters, especially in the central nervous system. Nitric oxide can function as a neurotransmitter, and a lot of small peptides can function as neurotransmitters. I think you appreciate this, and you'll delve into it again in much greater detail later in your training. But neurotransmitters, once they're released into the synaptic cleft, have to either be degraded or recaptured, and that's necessary to for the normal physiologic functioning of neurons as they fire nerve impulses. There are high affinity reuptake receptors on the presynaptic membranes. About 80% of neurotransmitters are reabsorbed by these reuptake transporter proteins in the presynaptic membranes. These are going to play a critical role in helping to reload or recharge synaptic vesicles. About 20% of neurotransmitters are actually degraded in the synaptic cleft. You've heard about or will hear about in your training in the future about acetylcholinesterase, which is important to the neuromuscular junction to break down acetylcholine. And again, you can imagine if you don't break down or remove the neurotransmitters from the synaptic cleft, you're going to keep generating an action potential and that then doesn't coordinate nerve function as a system. An important concept that we need to let you be aware of is axonal transport because we've talked about the fact that neurons are very active secretory cells and you know that neurons can be pretty large cells. Some of them can have axons that are several feet long. An axon coming from a neuron in the spinal cord going down to the area near the knee and you think about the knee jerk reflex. Those axons then are pretty long. You've got to move material from the cell body to the distal end of that axon and we would talk about that movement as anterograde transport and we can talk about fast axonal transport in the anterograde direction that is in the direction from the cell body to the axon terminal or if you want to think of it in a forward direction fast fast axonal transport moves organelles proteins like actin or myosin or vesicles at a rate of about 250 millimeters per day. That transport occurs along microtubule tracks with kinesin motors. There's a slow axonal transport also in an anterograde direction. That would move things like neurofilaments, maybe microtubules, other enzymes, again in a forward direction from the cell body towards the axonal terminal. That would be at a much slower rate, maybe a half to one and a half millimeters a day. We really don't understand the mechanism of slow anterograde axonal transport, but we can contrast anterograde transport with retrograde transport. That is moving vesicles primarily in the opposite direction from the axon terminal back to the cell body, so from the distal axon to the cell body. That occurs at a relatively fast rate, 150 to 200 millimeters a day, so it's a little bit slower than fast anterograde axonal transport, but it's still relatively quick. That's again transporting along micro 
microtubule tracts, but here it's going with cytoplasmic dynein motors. So you can remember from your cell biology discussions that we talk about kinesin motors moving cargo in the plus direction towards the plus end of microtubules and dynein motors moving things in the minus direction, that is to the minus end of microtubules. So we talk about anterograde transport going in the forward direction to the plus end of microtubules. We talk about retrograde transport going in the opposite direction towards the minus direction of microtubules. So once again, anterograde transport from the cell body towards the axon terminal, retrograde transport from the distal axon terminal back towards the cell body.